0: Poison is the wind that blows from the north and south, and see. mercy, mercy, me. All oh, things ain't what they used to be. Oil oh, wasted on the oceans and upon our seas. Fish for of mercy, please. Maybe food, radiation underground
1: All right, welcome back the to the podcast. To in the week of September 25th, 2022. Glad you're here. If you're in town on Sunday, join us at Mission Hills. We'll be finishing out our climate conversations for this month of Environmental Awareness Month and our series Mercy, Mercy Me. And this morning, I want to offer some thoughts on eco-spirituality and see where we can take the conversation on Sunday. Uh, This week, I am reading out of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, starting in verse 28, and I'm reading out of the CEB translation. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, The first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The word of the Lord. All right. Well, I want to offer some thoughts uh, for our conversation on Sunday on eco-spirituality, how we've been talking about eco-spirituality from a variety of different perspectives this month. And hopefully I can offer some helpful notes and an outlook for how we might think about this as a community of Mission Hills and how we might go about practicing this in our communal life and in our personal lives as well. So we began this month by talking about our community's ongoing journey to become carbon negative with all the things that we've done here as a result of the last six years, Uh, physical things that we've done to the space, spiritual spaces that we've created, where we can specifically encounter God in nature and, as a result, everywhere. And in the second week, Kelly walked us through how an ecological spirituality contrasts uh, with what we often find, which she coined this term, egological, in the varieties of ecological worldviews and spiritualities. Uh, and how they're distinguished is they can avoid, uh, deny, and even rep- repress the climate crisis and the associated emotions. And as Kelly was talking, I was thinking about this uh, this book by Ilia Delio on creation care, where she's talking about Franciscan spirituality in relation to eco-spirituality in the 21st century. And she's, she writes this commentary just talking about Uh, consumer culture broadly. She writes, consumerism has subverted our identity as human beings. Rationalism is no longer the basis of the human subject. Now it is consumerism. I buy, therefore I am. And I think she's getting at something that's a true statement about both American Christianity and our consumer culture. And I think this is a solid way to think about Uh, what Kelly was talking about when she says egological spirituality in contrast to ecological spirituality or eco-spirituality as we shortened it. So regardless of affiliations or non-affiliations, egological spiritualities lead to degrees of direct or indirect damage to communities and the climate. I think that's something we can sort of all agree on broadly in contrast to eco-spirituality. So eco-spirituality, like we talked last week, uh, embraces eco-anxiety in the grief, anger, guilt that comes along with recognizing that our, our universal body globally is feeling and experiencing uh, the trauma and effects of climate change. So last week, uh, if you remember, I proposed uh, "dirty theology," which is a, a, a term coined by Kester Bruin, a phrase uh, coined by Kester Bruin, as a as just one theological entrance into thinking about a positive and holistic vision of eco spirituality. So, dirty theology is is by no means anything that anyone has to adopt. It is just a way of thinking about a holistic. Uh, theology or spirituality that gets rid of these binaries of, of in and out, clean and unclean, which we, we often find in uh, purity theologies in Christianity and uh, consumer culture broadly. So, dirty theology, just as a refresher, embraces the fullness of the human experience in a way that moves beyond simplistic divisions, those binaries, uh, by recognizing that the spirit crosses our conventions, our boundaries. It opens us up and continues to open us up into the experience of grace so that we can, as a result, uh, experience the interrelatedness uh, deeply in creation. So as we continue to experience the interrelatedness with all things, that is where we find Christ. So uh, an example that, uh, that we used on Sunday is when even when Jesus clears out the temple, he's not so much cleaning the temple but allowing the disallowable in, so it's a flip of even how we might even understand that a story that's you know talked about Jesus turns over the tables and, and cle- clears out the temple. It's less of a cleaning and more of more of a dirtying of the temple, uh, taking something that uh, says these people can come in here. This is uh, this space is pure. This is uh, impure. It's clearing out the temple so that dis- disallowable can be allowed in, and I think similarly eco-spirituality uh, breaks us open uh, in a way that muddies our perspectives so that we can begin, hopefully, to genuinely feel our world. And as a result, we are, we are liberated to, to rest, to heal, and hopefully discover solidarity from sincere hearts. So my, my hope in thinking about this, <clears throat> again, is not so, so that anybody adopts my, my worldview or my uh, thinking on this, it's, it's just that my hope for eco-spirituality is, is that we might be able to avoid some of these uh, in-out binaries, uh, fantasies that uh, eco-spirituality can, um, can give us some kind of uh, purity that sometimes can, can characterize climate conversations, even ones outside of any kind of religious context or perspective, uh, because those oftentimes uh, f- trying to figure out ways that we can uh, repress personal anxieties. Through individual action, I've said it every every year we've done this series that uh, oftentimes a hyper focus on individual actions, individual climate actions, that is, uh, is usually a sign of repression. So when we realize the scale and source of the climate crisis, it opens us up to uh, to solidarity because we become individually we become connected bodies to the whole of the community, the whole of the cosmos, and then we become exposed hopefully we become more exposed hopefully to the to the needs of our community so there's there's less of a need to ex- obsess over over my actions like that's the reason why we started with uh, week 1 the ways that our community has practically gone about uh, changing things cuz that's where we we begin so in eco spirituality there's there's less of a need to obsess over Fixing this and that, and how much we recycle, or how much, or how short our showers are, or all those kinds of things that are ways that we can, re- that we try to re- maybe unconsciously repress that climate anxiety, because we come, become more aware of the the scale and the source of the climate tr- crisis. We become more connected to our, our own body, uh, the cosmic body, and the needs of our our community and the needs of our world. When when this happens. We're free to, uh, to let go of the need to obsess over our own individual uh, ecological actions. Not that those are unimportant, but they're, they're secondary to the, the kind of holistic spirituality where we understand that eco-spirituality is a communal effort. It is a universal effort of healing that we get to be a part of uh, during however long our short time on earth is. So when we began the series, when we were talking about all the basics and practicalities of changing light bulbs and adding solar and the community garden, those things are great. And that's hopefully where uh, the interest is sparked to find that connection for a a much broader vision for what eco-spirituality and solidarity can be, uh, where we begin to heal ourselves and the planet. And we begin to have this cosmic vision where we realize that this healing is going to take longer than our lifetimes to accomplish. And I think this is generally good news and encompasses this broad vision for what eco-spirituality uh, can be and can mean for us. It's, it's a, the experience of grace that leads us into a life of compassion. Uh, eco-spirituality, as we've mentioned before, doesn't have to be Uh, A Christian—it doesn't have to involve a Christian worldview. It doesn't have to be a Christian thing. It doesn't doesn't need any kind of doctrine, uh, because we're just making uh, a case from the Jesus tradition, and it's rooted here and then branches out far beyond. So Christian eco spirituality isn't—it isn't about bringing uh, Christianity into ecological spaces, but it says something about realizing that our experience of liberation broadly connects us more deeply to everything that we experience from there. It changes how we experience everything. Uh, as we've said many, many times, the whole er- the earth is Christ-soaked. Uh, so when we begin to share the gift of life here and now, rooted in that presence, uh, hopefully this transformation deepens and broadens our encounters with God in creation, and then that invites us into movements of compassion So, eco spirituality simultaneously deepens our experience of Christ in the earth. Eco spirituality simultaneously deepens our experience of Christ in the earth. Um, Ilya Delio, she writes uh, from a Franciscan Franciscan perspective, and she writes this uh, kind of getting at the same idea. A trip to the ocean, a walk in the woods, working in the garden are important not primarily for what they produce, but for their inherent. Christ contact. And I think one of the aspects she's getting at here is that this vision of eco-spirituality is not solely obsessed with the outcomes, but recognizes that we share the burden and wisdom that is broadly about healing ourselves and the planet as as holistic work, uh, which we are blessed with just a minor role in, Um, Theologian Leonardo Buff writes this, eco-spirituality arises from, from an awareness of one's part and from the intuition that everything in the whole universe itself is sustained and infused by a powerful loving force, an abyss of all energy, the source of all being. One can sense the mysterious thread that connects and reconnects into the cosmos and out of chaos, eco-spirituality inspires awe at the wonder of the universe and fills us with self-respect so that we might admire, enjoy, and celebrate all that is. So much of how we think must be changed until new habits of thought are a given among us all. I love that quote, and I think eco-spirituality does this uh, hopefully, hopefully, I say I always say hopefully because I hope that it do, begins to do this in our community. That it creates the environment for ongoing transformative experience of grace. We always say at Mission Hills that we create spaces. Hopefully, create spaces of belonging, healing, and grace because that's that's our goal is to hopefully create spaces. And I think eco spirituality, when when sort of fully embraced creates the environment for this kind of ongoing transformation of grace that gives us space for compassion and liberation. Uh, compassion, I think, is what we see demonstrated over and over and over again in the life of Jesus as he pursues the liberation of all. We talk all the time about how that is the through line through Jesus' life is about the liberation of all people from different marginalizations. So creative compassion in eco-spirituality makes space for all. It creates healing, it offers liberation, and of course loves deeply. Uh, writer Eric Doyle says to love is to be in relation with one another, creating a bond between the self and a part of the world. And so ultimately between self and In all creation, if one person can love another person, one unique animal, one flower, one special place on earth, there is no reason why that love cannot stretch out to embrace every single creature to the furthest reaches of space. So when we think about a cosmic vision for eco-spirituality, this kind of universal love is what comes to mind. And when Jesus says, Love God with all, all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Can we imagine this love to embrace every single thing to the farthest reaches of the universe? When we think about Jesus' answer to that question about the most important commandment, I think it's interesting that he responds by saying that all is one, that we are to love God and love our neighbor, that there's a recognition, uh, there's a recognition somewhere of oneness, that uh, all might be one, is, is Jesus' prayer in the, in the Gospel of John. And the hope is that our lives always come back to love. So, one of my hopes is that a Christian eco spirituality is grounded in love. And this is why we say that love and compassionate action can look very different. It can be rest, therapy, self care, listening to others, uh, starting a garden club like Thai joining a protest, uh, in anything really in between. Uh, Jesus' call for oneness and love, I think in our time, also demand movements for solidarity and justice. Uh, we often quote the line of Mission Hills that justice is what love looks like in public. And one of the examples, uh, one thing that we mean when we say this is that following Christ's call to love God and our neighbor and ourself is the call of justice, the call for global solidarity of the poor and the working class in a capitalistic system that exploits people and the planet for profit. And this matters. This is also uh, the call to love, to love God, to love our neighbor, to love ourselves. When We don't see there's a distinction between that and our love for the planet. We realize that this kind of love uh, for us breaks us open uh, in order for us to hear the call of the community, the global community, uh, and the cry of the oppressed. So uh, theologian uh, Jörg Rieger, he writes about these concepts extensively in his most recent book. And so he's, he's in this particular chapter, he's addressing some of the traps of conventional Christianity and uh, the movement and the necessary uh, call for for solidarity. He writes this, middle-class Christians who are led to think that they can change the world because of their cumulative Racial, gender, and sexual privilege still rarely pose much of a threat to systemic forms of domination and oppression, let alone to the system of neoliberal global capitalism. Confusing privilege, of which they may have a considerable amount, and power of which they have much less, they are oblivious to the need for a broad-based solidarity of those who are not running the system. Activism must change or it will become increasingly irrelevant. So climate compassion uh, is also the call for solidarity. And I think a great uh, example of even uh, a step that we can do uh, that we've done recently for this is even uh, partnering with the Social Impact Center, like we did last weekend, and listening to the needs of those working in our community on behalf of justice. Uh, This is a kind of climate engagement, uh, listening to the needs, uh, not rushing out to to think that we have the solutions to to solve everything or uh, that we know the best way to to solve the climate crisis so we're going to do this and do this and do this um a lot of that a lot of that stuff is great and we have we have taken upon ourselves to to, to be leaders in, in a lot of those uh, regards uh but climate compassion as solidarity and listening to our community is the movement of solidarity and oneness that is at, is at the core of listening to the call of love in our world. So it can look so many different ways, the way that we engage and think about our eco-spirituality and how it leads us to, um, to grace and to listening. So we begin with our own being, our own groundedness, recognizing uh, ourselves as a gift of creation, herself divine and beloved here and now, Even that is a practice, uh, an eco-spiritual practice, that we can breathe in and breathe out and ground ourselves as a gift of creation. Uh, We've said it before, but rest and gratitude are subversive acts in a consumer culture. Rest and gratitude are subversive acts in a consumer culture. So eco-spiritual practices uh, are creative expressions. Eco-spiritual practices, sorry, I'm repeating myself all the time, but eco-spiritual practice, they're, they're creative expressions of your experience, of our experience of grace and compassion. So so maybe some uh, climate compassion questions uh, based on this, this idea of the, of the, the greatest commandment and the, the most important commandment. Um, what are the needs of our community? Who are we listening to? Who are we learning from? What? Uh, Where are those marginalized uh, globally when it comes to the climate? What are they saying about how the climate crisis is affecting them? Uh, What might solidarity look like in our life together, Mission Hills and beyond? Uh, Is our eco-spirituality, is it cultivating patience, curiosity, wonder, and resiliency? Uh, Another question that you could write down uh, is what questions do you want to come up with? What questions does eco-spirituality present to you? Uh, and then maybe for Sunday, how has your understanding uh, changed or grown during this particular environmental awareness month? Okay. Those are a few questions that maybe we can, uh, get into on Sunday that can help guide our conversation. Uh, but I hope this was helpful. I wanted to, uh, to do a little bit of a, a, a wrap up of this series and trace sort of this through line through our mission Hills journey, um, uh, through, Kelly's comments on egological versus ecological spirituality and climate anxiety, how a dirty theology uh, might empower us to get rid of our um, binary uh, decision-making and binary thinking and have our own walls torn down so we can be continually open to grace. And then to see how compassionate action in climate justice can look so many different ways that w- we can ask ourselves, uh, sincerely, what is Jesus's uh, invitation to, to love God, and to love others, and to love ourselves? What does that mean for us today? Uh, how can we think about that uh, when it comes to um, may all be one, this call that uh, the Lord God is one? How does that affect the way that we understand solidarity and questions of love and justice and how that works out uh, from a cosmic perspective? Just small questions for your, for your weekend. All right, I'm going to close this with a, with, a, with a quote, and I, I will put the author's uh, name in the uh, show notes. I don't have that here. Gospel-based compassion tolerates no outsiders. It embraces and seeks to bring in all who are marginalized, oppressed, and excluded from empowering fellowship. It evokes a double response, requiring a reawakened heart that knows it cannot withhold the just action that liberates and empowers. The transformation of the heart, which also might be described as the contemplative gaze, asks us to go where it hurts, to enter the places of pain, to share in brokenness, fear, confusion, and anguish. Compassion challenges us to cry out with those in misery, to mourn with those who are lonely, and to weep with those who are in tears. Compassion requires us to be weak with the weak, vulnerable with the vulnerable, and powerless with the powerless. And with that, we will say amen. And as always, as we approach this week, may we love God, embrace beauty, and live life to the fullest. Be well.
0: Underground and in the mm-hmm. sky Animals and mercy, birds, and and birds and who live nearby are dying. Mercy, mercy, mercy. All, mercy, all mercy, things mercy, and what, mercy, 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 what they do to be. What about this overcrowded land. How much more do from saying mercy? can, can you stay?